Well, good morning, Community Church. Good morning at our Mount Pleasant campus here. Uh, I don't think we could fit more, any more Christmas trees on the stage. We are officially in the Christmas season. It looks incredible. Good morning to those of you who are gathered at our Alma campus. I know it also looks very Christmassy down there as well. Uh, and good morning to those who are gathered online. Uh, we are especially excited that you're here with us uh, as we kick off a brand new series. Well, one of our values here at the church uh, is intentional discipleship. That our hope is that through engaging with this particular community that you would grow in your knowledge of who God is, that you would be taking steps of becoming more spiritually mature over your time here. And we happen to be a church that is just blessed uh, with so many multi-aged young families, older families, singles, adults, and so from our youngest kid all the way up to our oldest adults. Our hope is that through engagement here, you'd be discovering what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, One of my first roles here on staff was working with youth ministry, uh, middle school and high school students, and I absolutely love that age group. Uh, Jeff Heishen, who's our director of student ministries here at the Mount Pleasant campus, uh, was one of my first people that was doing ministry with me years ago, does an incredible job. Uh, recently in the Alma campus, we've been launching youth ministry on Sunday nights, student life, uh, and it's been a wonderful thing. And it's just reminded me how much discipleship uh, means particularly for a student in middle school or high school. And it's reminded me about how much I love that age group uh, because they're, they're kind of goofy, uh, you know, like kinda in, in a good way. They, they ask great questions. They're hungry. They're so shapeable. And I just see so much potential. And as I've been doing kind of, as we've been seeing this kind of youth ministry launch at the Alma campus, it's just reminded me of how much um, I absolutely love seeing students take steps of understanding what does it mean to know and follow Jesus. Uh, I absolutely love taking students on trips, camps, mission trips, retreats, uh, getting away and focusing on what God is trying to teach or say. And there's always a special thing that happens on the last night, if you've been on a, a trip like this before. Uh, on on the, maybe Saturday night or Friday night towards the end of the trip, uh, usually we share the gospel at that particular moment. And I've seen God do some incredible things on retreats, time and time again. And it makes sense. When you intentionally lean into what it is that God is trying to teach you, oftentimes God will show you something. I remember one particular year, it was one of my first trips I took students on, and uh, it was the last night, and there was a closing worship song after sharing the gospel, and students are starting to respond, and there in that space, there was one particular young man, uh, and he just seemed to be having a hard time. He was kind of sitting off to himself. His arms were folded, so I went over and sat next to him, and I was just kind of asking how things were going, and, and essentially, I came to this question. I said, what would it take for you to put your faith in God? What would it take for you to believe in God? He thought about, about it for a moment. He said, if God just showed up, if God revealed himself, then I could believe. Remember, I kind of crossed my arms to look at him. I said, that would be pretty cool <laughs> if that happened. I, it wasn't a very poetic response at all. In fact, I think I'd have a better answer now. But it was the best that I had at the time. But have you ever been asked a question like that? What would it take for you to fully put your trust or your faith in God? And if I knew he was real, if if he would make himself known to me, if, if he revealed himself to me, 
Maybe you've been going to church for quite a while. And, and how do you know God? How would you respond to that question? How have you experienced him? Do, do you sometimes wrestle with doubt? How do you know that God exists? If I were to ask every single one of you gathered in this room, those sitting in the seats in Alma or online, I think that we'd probably get a variety of answers to that question. Some might say it's a feeling that I have. Some might say it's, it's just knowledge. Some may point to faith or experience. And honestly, some of us may not be able to even give an answer. Maybe you're sitting here today and you are searching. You don't know if God exists. You hope he does. Maybe you've felt God at some point in the past and now you don't know what you believe anymore. And if that's you, I am so glad that you're here with us. Because we're launching into this brand new series that's going to take a look through the book of 1 John called Love Made Known. And I love it when people ask questions like that. Why? Because I know that God can hand, handle any question that you throw at him. And when you ask a question like that, you're opening yourself to what God wants to teach or show you. And there are many ways that God has made himself known. If you just open your eyes. Over the course of this series, we'll be making our way through the book of 1 John, and my hope as we go through this book, particularly as we move into this Christmas season, especially moving towards Christmas Eve, that love would be made known to you, that you would experience what Christmas means, maybe in a way that you've never experienced before, maybe in a fresh way. It's John here in this book that famously states that God is love. To know God is to know love. In fact, if you claim to know God and don't love other people, you may not know God. And the biggest, most amazing way that love was made known was through the person of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you may be, ex be able to experience or encounter the indescribable love of God in a new way as we go through this series. That's what John's hope was when he wrote this book. So don't miss a week as we move through the end of 2021. And, and I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you over the course of these next five weeks to read the entire book of 1 John as we make our way through. One chapter a week. In fact, if you happen to have your Bibles with you, we're going to open up to 1 John and start in chapter 1. Uh, a quick reminder that if you, uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, there's also the Bible app that's free on the, the app store. Um, or you can, of course, watch the screens as we make our way through. Um, but the book of 1 John was written uh, by the Apostle John. And it was written by the Apostle John while he was later in life uh, in a place called Ephesus, which if you were to look at a map today, Ephesus is about where Turkey is. So you imagine John, for a little bit of context, he is the oldest Apostle. In fact, many scholars point to the fact that at this point when he's writing 1 John, he may be one of the only remaining apostles alive. John, who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who spent time with Jesus, he is the one who's writing this. John, who had witnessed Jesus' crucifixion, was one of the first people to see him after his resurrection, after he rose from the dead. And if you were alive at the time, if you were part of the early church, you, along with everyone else, would especially want to hear what John has to say. 
So John is writing this letter to be shared with followers of Jesus. And, but if you're familiar with the other um, letters in the New Testament or the epistles, uh, this one is a bit distinct because John isn't writing to a particular congregation. He's not writing to address a particular situation with a particular local church. John has a different tone. There's a different heart that's here. The book of 1 John is, is, a, is a, a letter that is written to individuals. It's, it's also written with this tone of like a father or a grandfather who's writing to his children. So the best way to think about this letter is it was written to you. It's a letter from John for you. In the church of the first century, John is writing to Christians who were experiencing pain, persecution, isolation. There, there were terrible things that were going on all around them during this period of history. There were voices inviting members of the churches to believe lies, to not embrace or abandon the truth of the gospel that had been shared with them. In fact, it sounds kind of familiar with some of the things that we're walking through. And John, as one of the apostles of the church, he recognizes the need for people to have hope, the need for assurance, the need to hold to truth, the need for joy, to, to hold to the promises that we have in Christ. And I'm so excited that we as a church are going to be making our way through this book together because it's John's heart for God's people. So John, in his later years, he wrote these words for you. Starting in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we, we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. So there's two big ideas that John lays out right here at the start of this book. The first, John wants his readers of this letter to know that you can have eternal life that you can be assured, no question about it, that there is a way of eternal life through Christ Jesus. He wants to make sure that gets across. But John also wants us to know that you can experience God's everlasting love. So eternal life is just part of the equation that God has a plan for you to experience his everlasting love. And this is a big deal for John. At the time that John wrote this book, within his lifetime, the, the church had exploded on the scene as the apostles went out following Jesus' ascension into heaven. They're sharing the gospel, and as the church is spreading, people put their faith in Jesus. They begin to appoint young leaders. Churches are planted. But in the same way as the church goes out, the movement of the church faces opposition. There's persecution against Christians. Young leaders who are inexperienced inevitably make mistakes. And there are those who are actively working to share a false gospel within the church, to pervert the message of the gospel. Those who work to discredit the divinity of Jesus. Those who work to warp the core teachings of the gospel. And consequently, people are deceived. And John, one of the original apostles, 
one of the original people that were meant to, sh- to carry out the message of Jesus, uh, he wants to make sure that the message that they have received is not robbed of its power. He doesn't want people to be misled or misinformed. And here's the thing, thinking about this book written by John to you. You can be deceived. We are just as open to deception in the church today. People can be confused or, or misinformed, maybe be in church for a long time, but have a warped view of what God actually wants for you. People may think or say they are Christians, but if you look a little closer, they may not be. You look at their actions or their beliefs or the fruit of their lives, and they do not resemble what it means to be a follower of Christ. And John's heart here, John is saying, you don't have to be deceived You can know for sure. This is personal for John. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I felt the same desire as a pastor to do whatever it takes as a church to make sure that you know what God wants for you, his plans for you, to help you grow in your your knowledge of him, to, to grow into maturity in Christ, to fully experience what it means to be a son or daughter of the Most High God. I fear there are many who may think that they have eternal life, who attend church, claim to be Christians, but they have missed the central part of how to get there. And here's the thing, I don't want you to be deceived, for you to think you have when you don't. And on the other hand, a more positive spin is that you can know, John is saying, you can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to question it. You can be sure about the promise of eternal life and know the depths of God's grace. And so let me ask you that question today. Are you sure? Are you sure? Do you know what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ? It's an important question. And I want you to know because you can have absolute confidence. That's what God wants for you. And John is wanting to emphasize the significance of it. He wants you to know without a doubt. And so from our two big ideas, here are two truths in 1 John chapter 1. The first truth is this, Jesus is eternal life. This is huge. This is essential. If you want to know that you have eternal life, you have to know Jesus. Not just know about him, you have to know him. 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. You look at the language that John used here, and, and initially it doesn't seem like he's talking about a person. John doesn't say he who was from the beginning. He says that. So it's pretty clear that John is talking about a concept. He says, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. But at the same time, how do you see or touch an idea like eternal life? It's not just a concept. John is also talking about a person, a person that he knew personally, that he knows personally, who he, he spent time with. In verse 2, the life appeared, we have seen it, we have testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
John is wanting to get across something very important. The concept of eternal life cannot be separated from the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is eternal life. And this is a consistent uh, theme for John. You can see it throughout the New Testament. In fact, looking at John's gospel, the gospel of John, he writes in, first, in, in John 1.4, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John 14.6, John records Jesus speaking about himself, and Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. In John 17.3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you want to know without a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life? You must know Jesus. You have to know Jesus. I have conversations all the time with people who are new to faith or exploring faith, and this is one of the most audacious claims of Christianity. You think of all the other religions that are out there, all the different ways that people are trying to find their way to, to God or to spirituality, and, and, and people often ask, is Christianity really the only way? And the Bible is explicitly clear. Yes, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. There's no other name under heaven through which we can be saved. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the creator of all things. He's bigger than we could think or imagine, and he reveals himself. He makes himself known through the person of Jesus. At this point in history in the church, within a lifetime of Jesus' time on earth, there were those who were denying that Jesus was God. There were those in the churches that John is addressing who were trying to persuade people in the church, that Jesus was instead created by God or inspired by God. And this is wrong. Jesus is the full revelation of God, and he has come to us. John says, we have seen him. We have, we have heard him. I've, I've spent time with him. I know him. It's what John is trying to get across personally. You know, I shared that story of the, of the young man who was wishing that God would reveal himself and, and then he would believe. And if I could go back in time to that conversation, I would say he has. God has revealed himself. Jesus is God, fully God, revealed in human flesh. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And this has an enormous impact on our lives. If Jesus is who we, say, who we say he is, then this has implications for every aspect of your life. It has implications over every decision that you make. A pastor and author by the name of David Platt said it this way. There were many people in the first century who had a small view of Jesus. So, they had a small view of what it meant to follow Christ. There are many, many people who have a small view of Jesus today. And as a result, they have a small view of what it means to follow him. There are many people who are content to see Jesus as a good religious teacher, who did good things, but they will not follow him as God, as the only authority, the only Lord over their life, as the authority over their family, as the authority over their money, the authority over their future. They're, they're unwilling to follow him as the ultimate authority over every detail of their lives. 
And it breaks my heart. There are people in the church today, there are likely people in our church who are in the exact same place. May attend church on Sundays, may give towards the mission of the church, and give Jesus a tip of our hats, but are unwilling or unable to call him Lord over our lives. The truth is, whether you recognize it or not, Jesus is the Lord over all the universe. He is the Lord over you and me. And eternal life hinges on recognizing him as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is eternal life. The second truth that John comes to after establishing Jesus' eternal life is that Jesus also offers everlasting love. He wants you to experience that in your life You know, it's interesting, the book of 1 John is filled with the idea of God's love. In fact, in this short book, the word love appears 46 times in the book of 1 John. And in the coming weeks, we'll hit this theme again and again, but the word love is actually not found in the verses that we're covering today. And so here at the start of this book, is it there? And I believe it is. Because how do you know that someone loves you? They show it. They, they reveal it. Their, their actions often will display whether love is actually there. My wife Katie and I have been together since high school. And, uh, and I remember distinctly, after we'd been together for a while, the first time that I told her I loved her. We were sitting in the parking lot, and I can't remember why, but she was, uh, she was, she was sad about something. She was crying. And in that moment of me trying to console her, it just kind of slipped out, and I said, Katie, I love you. And I remember her tears were there, and, and she's got a big old smile on her face, and it was kind of this, this sweet moment. It wasn't how I planned to first tell her I loved her, but it's just kind of the way that it happened. But if, if I had said I love you that many years ago and never backed it up with action, would it have meant anything? In fact, if you were to ask my wife, Katie, Uh, how do you know that Aaron loves you? She probably wouldn't cite the fact that I said it 20-something years ago in the parking lot. She would point to experiences that we've had together, times when I've loved her sacrificially or selflessly, the way that we've raised our kids together, or times that I've done things for her to show her my love. Love is action. Love has to be shown. Love must be made known. Here in verse 2, John says, The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. God's love has been made known to us. It's been made manifest. We have seen it. We, we have touched it. And, and John goes on, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and, was, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, in revealing himself, has has made a way for us to have everlasting fellowship with God. And this is an amazing concept. The word translated here as fellowship from the Greek is the word koinonia. It means a partnership or a sharing in common, a communion, a genuine friendship or relationship. And the essence of this partnership with God is an agreement or a unity of purpose. That is what you're meant to experience as a follower of Jesus. 
And it just blows my mind. The God of the universe, who, who definitely does not need me, would want to be in fellowship with me. And what does that genuine relationship, what is it meant to look like? Have you ever had a friendship where it was just easy? Where it didn't take any effort? Where you didn't have to think about what you should say, you didn't have to impress them, you could just totally be yourself? Have you ever had a friendship where it was just effortless? Have you had a relationship like that before? Maybe you're hungry for a relationship like that. Or the ultimate test, have you ever had a friend so close that you could be with them and just say nothing? And be content in the silence and know that you are fully accepted and fully loved just as you are. This is an image of what God calls us into. You don't have to make pretenses with God. You can experience his everlasting love. And I wonder, have you experienced God this way? Have you experienced God in a level where when you're going through grief or doubt that you can bring it to him first you can share with him your fears or your hurts. You can, you can be completely yourself. You could be known and fully know that you are accepted just as you, ha- as you are. Have you ever experienced fellowship with God in that way? I talked about discipleship before. You know, as you grow as a, as a follower of Jesus, that, that you have mutual interests with God. Mutual devotion, mutual activity, shared activity with God. That's what fellowship with God means. It, re- it means that after I receive Jesus, after I have the free gift of eternal life, that the journey actually begins there. And God is interested in my being and in all its parts. He's, he's interested in my spiritual life. He's interested in my mental ability and my my physical needs. He's as interested in me on Monday as he was during worship on Sunday. He cares about my family. He cares about my workplace. There is no part of my life where God is not invested. God has a plan for my life. I'm accepted and I'm loved completely and wholly. The Bible says that when we receive Christ, we are adopted. And he calls us a son and a daughter. You know, it's the most amazing part of what it means to be a Christian. And friends, that's not what we deserve. We deserve the opposite. We are sinners, you and I. Each of us has rebelled against God, every single one of us. We deserve separation from God. We deserve punishment if left to ourselves. And the Bible says that the punishment for that sin is death. God in his great mercy, in his everlasting love, because of his great love for us, sent his son Jesus, who died for sin he did not commit. He took on the judgment for sin that he did not deserve. And when we respond, when we put our faith in him, the way is made for us to have relationship with God. To be able to have friendship with the God of the universe. How incredible is that? And yet, sometimes, I grow numb to it. I think little of what that means. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, have you experienced this? Have you ever just marveled at God's goodness towards you and felt his presence? In my role as the Alma campus pastor, I'm often driving back and forth from Mount Pleasant to Alma. 
And the, I don't really, not a big fan of the weather getting colder, but one of the beautiful parts of this time of the year is that uh, I'm often driving back and forth to Alma during sunsets and sunrises. And I am such a dork because every single time I see an amazing sunrise or sunset, I can't help but stop and just marvel at God's goodness and mercy to think, wow, the God who created that, who put that into action is the one who wants to have a relationship with me. And in light of God's bigness, the Bible says that one of the ways that God reveals himself is through his creation, that that God wants to have a relationship with me. It just absolutely blows my mind. I can have fellowship with the God of the universe. And the good news is that you can have it too. No matter who you are, no matter what's in your past, no matter what you've done, in the busyness of this life, walking through what we're walking through as a people, facing division, polarization, challenges, sickness, death, Jesus has made a way for you to walk through all of that filled with himself, filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can experience a union with the God of the universe. Don't go through life missing that. And what a shame it would be to go through life missing that and to think that that's what it means to follow Christ. The good news is that Jesus offers you everlasting love. He came, he died on a cross. He made a way and, and you can have that kind of fellowship and unity and friendship with God today. There's not a list of things that you have to do. You don't have to get your life in order first. Jesus has made himself known. He has made a way for everlasting life so that you can experience his everlasting love in your life. You know, if you were to ask me, how do I know without a shadow of a doubt that God is real? I probably wouldn't cite apologetics. I wouldn't go to scientific reasons for his existence, although there are many of those. I probably wouldn't start with a historical basis of God's work throughout history. If you and I were sitting over coffee, I would say I believe in God without a shadow of a doubt because he has made himself known to me, because he's revealed himself to me. I would tell you of times that he's walked alongside me, times I've heard from him, when I've been at the end of my rope and he's pulled me back from the edge, times when God has held me by the hand like a friend. I can remember one uh, of those first times I experienced that idea of a fellowship, of a relationship with God, where I moved from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. I was 16 years old. I was sitting in my bedroom and I was learning how to play some worship songs. And, and just in that moment, it was an overwhelming sense of presence of God's goodness and his love towards me. And, you know, I would say I can't deny that God exists because I have experienced moments like that again and again and again in my life. And you can experience that too. It was the same feeling earlier this year where I'd been running a million miles an hour trying to run from this to that. I got busy. I'd fallen out of a habit and I felt like God was silent. And in a moment of pursuing God, of leaning into what he wanted to say to me, just feeling an overwhelming sense of God's presence in my life. Have you ever experienced that before? The good news is that you can have that too, that you can have fellowship with God, that you can experience his everlasting love as a tangible expression of his work in your life. 
And so as we kick off this series talking about love made known, my heart for you is that you would take a step in the direction of saying, God, I want to know what it is that I, that I believe or hold in my heart to be true about you. And so right now here in this space, if you're here in the room, if you're at the Alma campus, if you're online, if you feel comfortable, would you just close your eyes? And if you've never taken that first step, say, God, I, I want to know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to experience eternal life with you. I want to give you an opportunity right now to respond. And so if that's you, if you would like to say, God, I would like to take a first step in the direction of knowing who you are, of experiencing eternal life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a simple prayer. Put this in your own words and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes, that if left to myself, I know that there's something broken inside of me. But God, I believe that you revealed yourself through Jesus. So I receive that gift of forgiveness that Jesus says is available to me. And God, I want to commit to learn what it means to know and follow you. The second idea that John's getting across, though, talks about this idea of having God, experiencing God's everlasting love. And maybe you would say, you know, I, I put my faith in Jesus a long time ago, but if, if I'm honest, if, if I open up about it, I've never really experienced that idea of true fellowship, of true relationship. So right now here in this space, if that's you and you say, God, I want to experience you in a fresh way, I encourage you right now just to, just to have a conversation with the God of the universe. Say, God, I want to know you. I want you to make yourself known to me. Would you reveal yourself to me, God? Would you put me in a posture that says, I want to receive from the almighty maker of the universe? And God, I think it's amazing that when your children reach out with this humble heart that seeks to know you and follow you, God, that you do respond, that you are faithful in those moments. And so, God, I pray for us as a church the men and women that are gathered here in Mount Pleasant, that are gathered in Alma and gathered online. God, I pray that your spirit will be moving in our hearts and our minds in a way that causes us to be hungry to know you more fully in the future. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, if you pray that prayer for the first time, not only is it, are the angels in heaven celebrating, but we're also celebrating as a church. So can we just uh, give God some praise and some glory for that? I mentioned before, our heart for you is, is that we would be able to walk alongside you as a church to be able to teach you what it means to know and follow Jesus. And so if you made that decision for the first time, uh, whether in Alma, online, or here in Mount Pleasant, would you visit the info center or send a note in the chat? And we'd love to give you this free gift that has a Bible and some other resources that would uh, just kind of get you moving in the right direction on this journey. Uh, and, and John finishes this section uh, in this first chapter of, of 1 John by talking about, you know, the fellowship that we have with God. It, it allows us to also have fellowship with each other, a shared sense of purpose and mission. And so this holiday season, this Christmas season, we want to make sure that we're creating opportunities to uh, be together on purpose. And so on your seats uh, in Alma, on your seats in Mount Pleasant, and also um, in, uh, digitally, if you're online with us, 
These are invitations for you to give out to people so that people can hear the message that love was made known uh, through Jesus at, at the live nativity. So mark your calendars for that. See who you could invite. Um, church, uh, as we make our way through the, the book of 1 John this Christmas season, don't miss a single week. I'm serious. Over the next five weeks, make sure you're here. Don't miss how God is wanting to make himself known to you. Have a blessed week.